keep God's word on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do what it says. Then you will truly be successful. Keep God's word on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do what it says. Then you will truly be successful. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. It's day four of our 90 day challenge and the topic is worship is about holding on. Genesis 32, 1 through 30. Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and I have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you. And four hundred men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy. Of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant, I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there. And from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to? And where are you going? And who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him. But he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed 
the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. That concludes our scripture reading for today. Now I'd like to provide a worship thought. Several years ago, while pursuing my PhD in Christian worship at Fuller Theological Seminary, the Lord gave me an idea to create content for worship teams, worship leaders, and true worshipers. The idea was called Project Encounter. The vision was to explore and define worship and to expose others to the diverse ways various communities connect with God. My dissertation proposal was titled The Encounter Toward a Theology of Worship for African-American Pentecostals. While preparing for this book, I stumbled on a draft of my thesis, and I want to share a little bit for you here. Pentecostalism, I write in this thesis, is taking the world by storm. Its global impact continues to proliferate by the millions and its unique openness to the spirit allows for unscripted liturgy and homiletical creativity. But this uniqueness has not come without its share of denominational profiling. Since the early 1900s, Pentecostals have been viewed as emotionally driven ascetics, self-righteous anti-intellectuals, and inwardly focused fundamentalists who tongue talk, Bible tote, and prosperity preach. The majority of Pentecostal leaders in the U.S., with only a few exceptions, are rendered unnecessary when dealing with socio-political issues, but welcomed warmly when high energy or visible passion is needed, and most certainly, Passion is one entree on the buffet of Pentecostalism, but there is so much more to Pentecostalism that is yet to be realized. This assessment intends to represent Pentecostal worship in a way that will once and for all posit the fastest growing denomination as an essential part of every theological conversation. In the Pentecostal church, worship is an otherworldly encounter. The term encounter is an operative theological term for the sake of this paper since it describes the occasion whereby God's palpable presence is invited to indwell all modes of human life, ranging from the worship event itself to the day-to-day -day decisions of life and will. Encountering God in and through worship is the starting point for all theologies of worship in the Pentecostal church. Like Jacob wrestled with God until the breaking of day, Pentecostal worship requires dislocation and renaming. I share just a bit of that paper for a couple reasons. When I wrote this thesis back in 2015, I felt so dumb. I felt like a fish out of water. I felt like everyone was smarter than me and I struggled with knowing for sure that God called me to this. But sometimes we can't see what God is doing in us because we are too close to it. Sometimes we need to back up. 
I was looking at my work, my worth, and my contribution with a magnifying glass. But the truth is, the paper was just an introduction to a larger work. That work is my worship. That work is not a paper. That work is not a degree. That work is me. This is who God called me to be. Not the song I sing or the books I write, but me. I am his living sacrifice. I hope that encourages you to look at your purpose from a panoramic view. Back up a little and remove the overly critical version of you. All of us are trying to just figure it out. And one day the thing you thought was your best will feel like your worst. Or you might be surprised to discover that what you thought was the worst was actually quite good as is. God loves you as is. If you never edit another part of your project, his love for you remains. The other reason I shared this short excerpt is because I want you to bring every part of yourself to the table. Sometimes we may feel too dumb or too smart. Sometimes, if I'm honest, people made fun of me for the big words I used or didn't use, not knowing that all of it was good from God's perspective. You, my friend, are good. Don't lower yourself to fit into the limited perspectives of others. Don't think of yourself higher than you should. Be who God called you to be unapologetically and walk humbly before your God. It's possible to be both and. So this is my story. This is my song. Whether in church or in college spaces, I want to lean into the great mysteries of godliness while simultaneously crafting language that would hopefully help others to see that we are not just emotional beings. There's more to our story than that. But here's the crazy part about my life. For whatever reason, I never finished that PhD. I never got a chance to see my work in writing, but I still have a burning desire to construct a liturgical theology of worship that gives credence to and context for the mystery of presence and power that happens when heaven kisses earth through worship. Now, I went all the way around that Mowbray bush to talk about the text for today that centers my thesis, Genesis 32. This is the scene where Jacob, who is left alone, wrestles with God. Some theologians will argue he wrestled with an angel or that he wrestled with a man. My belief is that Jacob wrestled with God. And in so doing, Jacob declared, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is interesting about that phrase is that Jacob was already blessed. According to our societal definitions of blessing, he had everything that one would want. He had the love of two wives. He had riches and wealth. He had cattle and horses. He had servants and opulence. He had the stuff of success, but still asks God to bless him. Still, he determines not to let go until he leaves with a blessing. What is most interesting about this account is that at some point he does let go. At some point, Jacob receives something tangible that allows him an answer to his demanding prayer. But his blessing comes wrapped up in two things, a name change and a limp. The Bible says Jacob's hip is dislocated and his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. And this is what blessing looked like to Jacob. So why do we find it hard to accept that our blessings might look different too? Why is it hard for us to accept that God's blessings sometimes leave us with a limp? Something that tells the world, I've been with God. 
God's blessings are not always material. Most times they are invisible to the naked eye. But when God changed Jacob's name to Israel, God was also shifting destiny. God was renaming Jacob so that he was no longer associated with the trickster he was born into. Now he would be associated with the chosen people God elected. There are too many nuggets to fit into one devotional entry, but can I challenge every worshiper to think twice about what you ask for? Can I caution you to consider that God's blessings may start with hard breakups? Can I tell you that sometimes what we call a burden is in actuality a blessing in disguise? But what I love most about Jacob is his determination not to let go until he is left with something from God. Many of us have lost our hold on. Many of us take flight the moment we experience resistance. So many of us are ready to join a new church when the pastor says something we don't like or divorce our spouse the moment we realize they don't eat pork. But what does your hold on look like? Worship is about having the stick to to hold on to God even when others let go. It is measured by an instinctive determination to stay focused even when people aren't liking your page even when the invitation to speak doesn't come. Today, I wanna encourage you to hold on. My Baptist heritage will remind us to hold to his hand. God's unchanging hand, oh, hold to his hand. God's unchanging hand, build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. And so my encouragement to you today is that if perchance you leave with the limp, know that what others call a handicap might just be a highlighter that shows the world you have been with God. Today, your worship work is to write a song or a poem and share it with your worship team, your family, or someone that you trust about what it means to hold on to God. Have a great day. Everybody.